if I haven't met you before, I'm Andy. I'm one of the um, pastors here at City on a Hill. This is actually our last sermon in the 1 Samuel series, so we're covering chapters 24 to 31. Um, But how about as we start, I'll start with prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this journey that you've taken us on through 1 Samuel and how you've shown us how you prepared the way for the great king Jesus to come as you found David a king after your own heart and we pray as we look now at your word in at the end of 1 Samuel that you would remove any distractions that you would help me to speak clearly and truthfully and that your spirit would be at work bringing these words to life in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will mention as well, um, after the sermon, we're going to have a, a song to reflect on what we've heard, and then we'll do Q&A. So if you've got any questions, uh, I'd love to have a go at answering them. Uh, if I can't answer tonight, I'm happy to get back to you during the week. So yeah, jot down any questions that come up or from these chapters. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I hate spoilers. Um, some people don't mind knowing the end of a movie before they watch it. Uh, in fact, I've seen some people read the last chapter of a book before they start reading it. Can you believe that? It's ridiculous. I can remember when the last Harry Potter book came out, uh, and for whatever reason, I couldn't read it for about six months, Um, but I managed to get through those six months without hearing how the the series ends. Uh, And the way I did it was whenever whenever anyone mentioned Harry Potter or Dumbledore or Voldemort, uh, I'd put my hands over my ears and literally go, and and walk out of the room. Uh, It was sometimes embarrassing. Uh, It was an extreme measure, but it was totally worth it because I hate spoilers. Uh, Now, having said all that, I'm going to give you the ultimate spoiler. I'm going to ruin the ending of pretty much every movie out there. Here's what's going to happen. Despite all the odds, the good guys are going to win. The hero will get the girl. And the bad guys, well, they'll get what's coming to them. And everything will be right with the world. Except if they're gearing up for a a a sequel in which case there'll still be some like tension that's unresolved. Now, I haven't really spoiled anything, have I? What would really be a spoiler is if I told you all the movies and stories that don't end like that. So I won't do that. But that's the, the ending we expect from a movie, isn't it? The good guys win, the bad guys lose, And it doesn't matter how unlikely it was that the good guys would win. In fact, the more unlikely, the better the movie. We know how it's going to end. Uh, This kind of concept has reached a point where um, I was watching a movie the other night with Claire, and the main character in the movie gets shot. Now, for the sake of my fellow spoiler haters out there, um, I'm not going to tell you what the movie was, Uh, But it's one of those classic action thrillers. And this hero, he's been through everything. He's he's escaped hordes of zombies and battalions of soldiers and gangs of thieves. And he's about to finally get to freedom. 
and then the worst bad guy, he shoots him. And you're supposed to be like, oh no, he's going to die. But I wasn't like that for a moment. I was like, no, he can't die. He's like, he's too important. I just didn't buy it. I wasn't worried for a moment that he was going to die. Because that would be against the rules, right? Against the rules of movie making. And sure enough, a few weeks later, he wakes up and he's, he's fine. He's recovered from the, the flesh wound. But why did I react like that? Why is there this unspoken rule that it has to be that way? I mean, it's not like this rule matches reality. See, if Star Wars matched reality, Luke Skywalker, well, he probably would have got shot in the first gun battle, right? With all those highly trained stormtroopers with all their armor on that, you know, are really hard to kill. Or if if the Lord of the Rings matched reality, well, Frodo Baggins, he would have set out on his quest full of hope and then he'd get to the prancing pony and a random pickpocket would steal his ring from his pocket and it'd be all over. Or he'd get to the Misty Mountains and he and his friends would die of hypothermia. Like, that's reality, right? But it just seems so wrong that that would happen. So why do we feel this way? Why do we feel like the good guys have to win? Well, it's because we don't just want a story that matches reality. We want a story that will give us hope. See, what makes our favorite stories so appealing is their hopefulness, the hope that good will one day triumph, that it will conquer evil. There's something in these stories that that taps into our deepest longings, that longing for good to triumph, for justice to be served, for the weak to be raised up, for the evil to be defeated. And you know, it's not by accident that we have these longings. We have these longings because we've made, been made by a God who has the same longings. A God who longs for good to triumph over evil. And the story of the Bible is the story of God triumphing over evil. Rescuing humanity from the mess that we've got ourselves into. And the thing is, even though we're living in the midst of that story, even though evil is still around us, God has told us how it's all going to end. In the end, evil will not be victorious. Good will triumph. God will win. And that's what sets God's people apart from the rest of the world, isn't it? See, people who don't know God, well, they don't know how it's going to end. See, without Jesus, you can hope all you want for good to triumph in the end. You can dream about it. You can write imaginary stories about it. But there's no certainty that that will be a reality. If goodness does happen to win in the end, well, it'll be a random fluke. Without God, there is no hope for justice or good triumphing. There's just a cold empty, heartless, meaningless universe. And the universe doesn't care if the bad guys win. The universe doesn't care about your pain. But with God, there is real hope. Because God is good. God is powerful. And in the end, God will win. Good will triumph. Evil will be defeated. 
And so as we look at the end of our story, in these chapters 24 to 31 of 1 Samuel, which is actually not the end of the story, there's a sequel, it's 2 Samuel, um, so come back next year for that. But as we look at the end of this story, we'll see that David, well, the thing that helps David remain faithful in hardship is that conviction that God will win in the end. And what I hope each of us will take away from this tonight is that we too can have hope in hardship because we know that God will triumph in the end. So let's just recap where we're up to. At the start of chapter 24, David is an enemy of the state. He's running for his life. Uh, He was Israel's hero, the shepherd boy who slayed the giant. Uh, Then he became the warrior who led Israel's um, armies into victory after victory over the Philistines. But rather than honoring David, the king, King Saul, he grows jealous of David. And now he's doing everything he can to kill David. And so David flees for his life. And he gathers around him a bunch of outcasts just like himself. And so this great warrior who once sat at the king's table through no fault of his own, he's on the run, hiding in caves under threat of his life. But in chapter 24, it looks like the tables have turned, right? Not only has David escaped from Saul, but Saul's life is now in David's hands. See, Saul comes unknowingly into the very cave that David and his mates are hiding in. And he's by himself. He's come in to get some privacy so he can do his business. It's an incredibly vulnerable position for the king, isn't it? Outside the cave, there's a thousand soldiers. Here he is by himself, squatting over a hole with his pants around his ankles. This is David's moment. This is his chance to get his revenge on his enemy. And you can see David's followers urging him on there in verse 4. Here's your arch nemesis, David, the cause of all your struggles. He's, He's sitting right in front of you. You'd be mad not to take the opportunity. And they even put a religious spin on it. Look there in verse 4. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Come on, Dave. Surely this is from God. God has delivered Saul over to you so you can have your revenge. But you know, David knows God better than they do. See, like Saul, like most people, David's mates, well, they want to use God to serve their own agenda. But as we've already seen in 1 Samuel, David isn't like most people. Rather than use God to serve his agenda, David serves God and gets with God's agenda. See, despite everything Saul has done for him, to him, David has a real reverence for the king. In verse 5, we read he's conscience-stricken because he cut off a piece of his clothing. And it's not so much about David's allegiance to Saul as much as it's about David's allegiance to God. See, Saul is God's anointed. Even though David's been told by God that one day he will be king, even though he acknowledges in verse 10 that God has delivered Saul into his hands, This doesn't make David entitled. 
Just because God brought his enemy to him doesn't give him the right to kill the Lord's anointed. The one appointed by God to be king. No, David would rather be wronged than do wrong. He'd rather suffer harm at the hand of the, of the Lord's anointed than be the one to harm the Lord's anointed. And what sits behind this is that God, David knows that God will win in the end. David trusts that God will right the wrongs that King Saul has done to him. And we see this in chapter 26 as well, when yet again Saul is at the mercy of David, vulnerable, unprotected. This time he's asleep and all his guards as well. But again, David doesn't let any of his men harm Saul. David knows that the Lord will bring justice on Saul in his own time. And if God wants David to be king, well, he will make a way in his time, a way that is good and right and just, not by David assassinating the king in cold blood. And this again, it shows David to be so different to the king Israel asked for, the king like the nations. Now, David was a king after God's own heart. A king who trusts in the Lord, who rules as a king under God, rather than in place of God. And this is so different to the way our world thinks, isn't it? Our world says, if people have wronged you, well, it's your God-given right to take revenge. Maybe within the bounds of the law, but get, get them back. But see, if we believe that God will win in the end, then we don't have to take matters into our own hands. Rather than seeking vengeance for ourselves, we'll let God be the judge. Because God will win in the end. We know the destination. But just because we know that God will win in the end, just because we know the end point, it doesn't mean that we won't find the journey really hard. Let's just imagine for a minute what life was like for David at this season of his life. He's done nothing but honor the king. He's been humble, righteous, devoted to God, devoted to the nation, devoted to the king, and now he's fleeing for his life, pursued by the armies he once led. Do you see how incredibly unfair the situation is for David? Now, I can't say I've ever felt anything like what David must be feeling here. But maybe some of you can. Hardship, injustice, it's not uncommon in this world, even in a country like New Zealand. One of my good friends has been given a pretty rough hand in life. For the sake of privacy, I'll call him Liam. But Liam had a tough upbringing. He was the eldest of nine kids. His father was distant. Um, he's always struggled socially. He struggled with singleness since his 20s. Um, he's now approaching 40, and he's still single. He struggled through uni. He managed to graduate with two degrees after about eight or nine years, failing, repeating courses. And despite having a law degree, he's still unemployed. He recently found out that he has ADHD, which he was medicated for, and it made a huge difference. And as he looks back to his childhood, he realizes if his parents had just taken him to see someone when he was a kid, it could have completely transformed his life. And all the struggles in, in school and, and uni 
might have been at least minimised. And to top it all off, a few years ago, in his early 30s, Liam was diagnosed with advanced bowel cancer. He had emergency surgery uh, and chemotherapy, and he now lives with a permanent stoma bag. And he's got permanent nerve damage from the chemo. Now, that's a pretty tough hand, isn't it? And he's had his moments, but Liam has been a faithful Christian all his life. And he struggles at times to believe that God is for him. And you can understand why, right? It just seems so unfair. Why him? Why did he have to suffer all those things? And I'm sure there are some here tonight who have experienced similar things. Some who are in the thick of hardship right now. And so how do we deal with that as a Christian? How do we keep trusting God when it just seems so unfair? Now, we're not told much of David's emotional state at this point in 1 Samuel, but we do see it in the Psalms that David wrote. One of the great things about the Psalms is that many of them were written by David during the hardest times of his life, times like the end of 1 Samuel. And we know this because there's often a little title at the top of a psalm that tells us the situation that David was in when he wrote it. Um, You may have missed it when we read Psalm 57 before, but there's actually a title, and that title is not something that's been added later. It's part of the original Hebrew. And it says, For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. See, David wrote this psalm as he fled from Saul into the cave. And so as David faced great injustice, as he lived on the run in fear of his life, he wrote what we call the psalms of lament, like this one in Psalm 57. And these psalms of lament are a precious gift to us from God. They're a gift because they give us words They're songs that God has given us to respond in a God-honoring way to hardship and injustice. We, We tend to think that joy is the only reason to sing to God. But in these Psalms, we see despair. We see rejection, loneliness, sadness, fear, worry, frustration, anger. David cries out to God for help. He cries for mercy. He cries for vindication, for for God to bring justice on his enemies. See, the Psalms show us that it's not ungodly to find hardship hard. They show us that it's okay to complain to God. There's this dangerous and unhelpful approach to hardship that I've come across in, in Christian circles. And it's this idea that if I'm a, a strong and godly Christian, well, I have to be happy no matter what happens to me because, well, because Jesus, right? Yeah, God will win in the end. But that doesn't mean the only godly response to hardship is to just be happy. Oh, cancer, great, a chance to glorify God. No. The Psalms teach us that it's good and right to pour out your heart to God, to bring your complaints to him. And while they give us permission to do that and encourage us to cry out to God, 
The other thing these lament psalms do is they, they point us to God's faithfulness and his unfailing love. And this gives us hope in hardship. So at the end of Psalm 57, remember this is written as David's fearing for his life and he writes this, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Do you see, God's love and faithfulness is so great that no hardship, can take it away from us. See, do you know what Satan wants you to do when you face hardship? He wants you to grow bitter towards God. He wants you to turn away from God, to stop believing that God loves you and that he's for you, to make God your enemy. But you don't want to become God's enemy. No, God wants you to trust in him, to cry out to him, to find your refuge in him, to put your hope in him, in his unfailing love. So can I encourage you, get into the Psalms, especially if you're going through some kind of hardship. But for all of us, the Psalms are this rich, treasure trove of hope and encouragement to get us through the hard times. But back to 1 Samuel. What we've seen so far is David has hope in hardship because he knows God will win in the end. But what if you're an enemy of God? Surely the one thing you don't want to be at the end when God wins, is God's enemy, which is the picture we get of Saul at the end of 1 Samuel. See, Saul keeps pursuing David until David finally escapes to the Philistine territory, the one place that he knows that Saul will be too terrified to go chase him. And it's only in chapter 28 when the Philistines that have assembled to fight the army of Israel, the terrified Saul, he finally comes back to God asking for help asking for guidance, but it's too late. God has abandoned him. Saul inquires of the Lord, but he's silent. Samuel the prophet, he's dead. And in desperation, Saul disobeys a law that he set down in his younger God-honoring days. He consults a medium to try and get hold of the dead prophet Samuel. Now, other than the spookiness of this actually working, uh, the ghost of Samuel does nothing to ease Saul's fear. He only makes it worse. He gives Saul his death sentence. And sure enough, the next day, which we read about in chapter 31, Saul and his sons are killed in battle. It's a horrible, God-forsaken end for the first king of Israel. And it's the terrifying fate of the enemies of God. Because one day, it will be too late for the enemies of God. Now, I can't tell you when that day will be. But I can tell you that if you're listening to me speak right now, at some point in the next 70 years or so, maybe 80 for some of the people in the room, if you're lucky, 
you will stand before your maker. You'll be asked to give an account for the life you've lived. And the crucial question in that moment is, will you be God's enemy? Or by the blood of your King Jesus, will you be God's friend? If you're not sure at this point, then can I urge you to work this out? Don't be like Saul, growing in bitterness, growing distant from God, becoming God's enemy. Right now, it's not too late, but one day it will be. And you don't know when that day is coming. Now, if you've got questions or you're not sure, then we would love to talk to you. And particularly, we'd love you to come along to the life course. Uh, Because that's a great place to find out more, ask your questions, look into the claims that Jesus makes to bring us back to God, to to make us God's friend. Because I can't imagine anything worse in the universe than being God's enemy on that day. And if you are going through hardship, don't blame God. Don't turn away from him. Cry out to him, yes. And find hope in his unfailing love and faithfulness. Because for those of us who have entrusted ourselves to our Savior, King Jesus, the day when God wins, well, that will be a glorious day, won't it? That day will make everything worth it. Justice will be done. Those who have suffered for God's name will be vindicated. And as we wait for that day, we don't wait with some kind of smug entitlement, waiting for God to judge our enemies. And we don't wait with some kind of Forced happiness, like hardships aren't hard. No, we cry out to God. We ask God to bring justice, to lift up the weak, to have mercy on the lost and the hurting people around us. And like David, we press on seeking to be God's faithful people through all the hardships of life because we have the certain hope that God will win in the end. Because even as God establishes David and his throne through faithfulness and hardship. He's paving a way for the greater king, King Jesus. Like David, this king will be offered an easier path to kingship as Satan tempts him in the desert. Like David, he will reject that easier path and instead obey God even if it takes him to the horrors of the cross, even if it means wearing a crown of thorns before he's given a crown of glory. But unlike David, this king won't fall into temptation and sin as he rises in power. Instead, his greatest power will be his love as he pours out himself as a ransom for many. See, in the New Testament, we not only have the hope of the Psalms that one day, somehow, God will win. No, because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we know how God will win. And it's by the love of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. And so as I close, let me read from the end of Romans 8, starting from verse 35. Hear these words of hope. For us, no matter what we're facing in life. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, whatever happens, we know how it's going to end. Whatever happens with COVID, uh, if we never get it under control, it won't be that COVID won. Whatever happens in world politics, Uh, Even if New Zealand is on the losing side of some future world war and we lose all our freedoms to some superpower, it won't be that that superpower has won. If my mate Liam's cancer comes back and he dies before he reaches 40, it won't be that cancer won. No, we all know who's going to win in the end. And we know how. By the blood of the Lamb, by the love of Christ, God is going to win. And nothing, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a hope we have to carry us through all the hardships of life. Let's pray together. Awesome God. We thank you for the example of David that while he fell mightily later in his kingdom, as he rose to kingship, he was faithful to you even in hardship because he entrusted himself to a God who would win in the end. And so, Lord, we want to have that same trust in you. And we know how you're going to do it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross, for raising him to life, for seating him as king of the universe, and that one day he will return to put everything right. And until that day, Lord, please help us to go through hardships well, to not turn from you, to not become your enemy, but to cry out to you for help to find refuge in you and to hope in your love and faithfulness. And Lord, if there are any listening and those that aren't listening who are dear to us and yet don't know Christ, we ask that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would have mercy on them before it's too late, that they might come and be made your friend and trust in Jesus for their salvation. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.